our second message on the series of our sermons or messages leading up to Christmas. Remember we talked about, uh, it's, it's dealing with Abram and Sarai, and Sarai is barren. And of course, who's going to come to the line of Abram and Sarai? Jesus. So really there's, there's a message of Christmas way back already in Abraham. God battling, because God's fighting for the seed of Christmas, right, for Jesus to be born. And we looked at last week how uh, the promise was hijacked. Remember how Pharaoh took Sarah away, the promise, and he was going to make her his wife. And there was, no, there was nothing Abraham could do until God intervened and brought his wife back to him. Today we're going to look at another scenario, and uh, this has to do with Hagar. So I invite you to turn with me to Genesis 16. Genesis chapter 16. Of course, this is the uh, this is from Hagar. Of course, this is where the Arab peoples come from, who are the Muslims today. So that's not our focus. Neither is that the focus of this passage. But it is interesting. That's where the Arabs come from originally through Ishmael and then uh, today among Muslims. Hey, uh, Genesis 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him how many children? No children. And she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me. He has stopped me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. So he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Then Sarah said to Abram, My wrong be upon you. I give you my maid into your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between you and me. Not a happy household, is it? So Abram said to Sarai, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to shore. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from? Where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarah. The angel of the Lord said to her, you return to your mistress and you submit yourself under her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for a multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child. You shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brothers. Then she called his name, or the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are the God who sees. For she said, Have I also here seen him who sees me? 
Therefore, the well was called Beer Lahai Roy. Observe, it is between Kadesh and Barad. And so Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram named his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. That's quite an old age to be a father, isn't it? 86 years old. That's older than my own father. So, welcome. You know, there's so, uh, just wait till, come on in. Welcome. You know, I'm going to be focusing on the fact that the promise is now sidetracked, right? First it's hijacked, and now it's uh, sidetracked. So that's... Um, you know what? Think about what your life would be like if you didn't have Christ. And it's hard for us to maybe think about that. Maybe there's certain situations in life where we might think that way, but what is it like to live without God? What must it be like? And you see the world around us. There is so much pain, so much misery in a life without God. Many people don't have him. They just don't know him. They don't know Christ. They, they don't have the Bible. They don't have any word for their life. They consult astrologers. They live in fear. And yet, Abram had God. We have God. He had life with God. So do we. He had God's promises. And so do all of Abraham's sons and daughters who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, isn't it true that even believers can easily get sidetracked? <laughs> you could say, leave the highway of faith and go into the ditches of our sin, as we see in the passage here. But you know, God has placed us on the highway of faith. And he says, this is blessing. And he says, you go on the way of faith and you keep your sights on the promises. No matter what comes your way, this or that, whatever difficult circumstance, you keep your sight on the horizon, the promises of God. You know, Abram had so many promises. He had the same promises we have, except not in a fulfilled form, but in a, you could say in a seed form. Remember way back in Genesis 12, 1, 2, and 3? God promised Abram a savior, right? To save him from his sin. A savior who would come through his son, right? Descendants, right? And then also he promised him a land. Now, we have to see it more than just a piece of property. Although back then it was a piece of property. It was, a, it was the land of Canaan. But 
It was a prophecy of something more. It pictured something, something greater. It pictured the inheritance of the forgiveness of our sins, um, the new life, eternal life with Christ, a new creation. Okay, it's not talking about Israel today, a piece of property. No, it's intended to show what Christ would secure for us. Forgiveness, eternal life, a new creation. Abram had it all. He had everything. He had no reason to ditch his faith and say, God, you're not with me. I don't feel it. I don't experience it. He, Abram had all his promises. And here again in Genesis 16, both Abram and Sarah, our, our grandparents, doesn't matter where we're from, what background we're from, but as believers, we have a set of grandparents. Their names are Abram and Sarai. We're from the same family, aren't we? The same family of faith. What do they do? They decide to ditch God, lead the highway of faith, and when you do that, life becomes really messy. It just becomes hard. And you know, here's a family walking in the way of the Lord. It was a stable family, uh, Abram and Sarai. A wonderful couple. You read 1 Peter 3, you know how Sarah called Abram Lord and she, would, she adorned her life with that kind of submission to her husband. But things can change so quickly, apart from the grace of God, when we decide to go our own way. And what happens here, we see first of all in Genesis 16, their impatience. Anybody ever become impatient? Impatient with the Lord. They become impatient with the Lord. It's very closely tied to a lack of faith, right? When we're impatient, that means we're sort of blaming God for not doing what he should be doing for us at the, at the moment. So their impatience with God, what does that lead to? Conflict. All kinds of trouble in the household. We're talking about a Christian household here. And finally, thank God for his grace that he comes to rebuke them and set things straight again and bring them back on the highway of faith again. That's how the passage ends, as we'll see. It's not really about Hagar. It's about God using Hagar, Hagar to rebuke Abram and Sarah. So it's not about Hagar's descendants per se, but it's, it goes back to Abram and Sarah. So that's what we want to look at this morning, those three points. You know, our salvation, our entire salvation from sin and death rests on whom? It rests on the baby who's to be born in Bethlehem. He's the Satan crusher. He's a, uh, he's a sin bearer. But the problem is, there's a problem here. Abram and Sarah don't have any children. No children. God promised them children. Is God really telling the truth? Is God really, can he really be trusted? Sarah's barren. By the way, she's past the age of bearing children. Uh, if you look at Romans 4.19, okay, it speaks of the deadness, the deadness of Sarah's womb. How can life come from something dead? That's where sometimes we're, Sometimes things seem so impossible. You think, how, is, how can this ever be resolved? Well, we look to the Lord. 
Genesis 12, Abram jeopardized God's promise by not trusting the Lord. He almost lost the promise. Who's the promise? His wife, because the promise would come from his wife, Sarai. Taken by Pharaoh, and yet God graciously, sovereignly intervened and says, no, no, Pharaoh, Sarah doesn't belong to you. I'm taking you back. You belong to Abram. And God was with, with them. Now advance 10 years. 10 years is a long time. That's 2013. Who remembers 2013? Seems like a long time ago. It's 10 years later. How old is Abraham now? 85. You think it's still possible to have a baby at 85? Well, maybe for the man. But Sarai is how old? 10 years younger. She's 75. Don't you think time is running out to have a baby? Still no child. And you know, if you look at chapter 15, we didn't read chapter 15, but you know, the Lord comes to Abram and calls him his friend. He says, I'm your shield. I'm going to be with you. And uh, he just consoles and comforts Abram. And what's the first thing Abram does? He doesn't say, thank you, Lord. He starts complaining. Lord, I'm childless. <laughs> what are you talking about? You haven't given me anything. You haven't given me a child. And so Abram makes a proposal. He says, how about Eliezer, right? Eliezer, my servant, he, the one from Damascus. How about he be my heir? How about he be the heir to the promises? No, says the Lord, not Eliezer. This man shall not be your heir, he says, but one who shall come from, forth from where? From who? From your own body. Did Eliezer come from Abraham's own body? No. From, he's from Damascus. One from your own body, he shall be your heir. And now you go to chapter 16. You can imagine the intense emotion, the anxiety, the fear in Sarai, right? The difficult situation. And I think chapter, verse 1, it really captures the intensity of it. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. Well, we've heard that so many times. Yeah, but it's, it's sticking. It's, it's hard. Full stop. No children. And then, but she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. By the way, where did they pick up Hagar? Where's she from? Egypt. When were they last in Egypt? when God's promise was almost hijacked. Remember Pharaoh gave, gave Abram all kinds of goods, but also maids, maidservants? Well, Hagar was probably one of them. So this kind of leads to the next thing. Okay, Sarah, what is Sarah thinking here now? Hmm, one from Abram's own body. Okay, well, she has a servant girl, a maid, she's strong. She's young. And Sarah proposes that Hagar's body be used to make a baby for herself and Abraham. Is that right? Well, when you're in the ditches of sin, when you're no longer trusting a God, you sometimes do anything to try to resolve a problem. And that's what is happening here. Sarah is thinking how to resolve the issue, this intense emotional difficulty in her life. But 
if you use if we use Hagar's body, then this will be their baby, since the Lord has stopped her from have, having children or from bearing children. She has lost her patience with God. God, you promised, but I say no, it's not going to happen anymore. I determine when it's going to stop, when it's not going to happen anymore. She kind of takes life in her own in her own hands. Sarai, where is your faith? You are walking so closely together, worshiping, walking from altar to altar, worshiping the Lord. You know, you had uh, good fellowship, a husband and wife. Sarai, nothing is impossible with God. If he can bring forth life from the dead, he can certainly bring life from your dead womb. As old as you are, can he? To bring forth a promised child? She abandons the highway of faith. She's at her breaking point. She says, this is enough. And she goes on the side road of her own solutions, blaming God for not coming through with his promise. Abraham, my Lord. That's what she called him, eh? According to 1 Peter 3, my Lord. Very submissive. Abraham, my Lord, here's my maidservant. Take her. You marry her so that you and I can build our family. Literally, that's the, the wording here. So that you and I can build our family through her. You know what she doesn't do? She doesn't turn to the Lord and pray. That's totally absent here. She doesn't consult the Lord. She doesn't look to the Lord's word. She totally ignores the Lord in this. It takes matters in her own hands. Sarai, what happened? What happened? We didn't know you to be this way. You were doing so well on the highway of faith. But let's not judge her so quickly. Let's not judge her so quickly. Are we any different apart from God's grace? We're not. Imagine more than 10 years of struggle. And you can apply this to many situations. More than 10 years of struggle lay behind this decision. 10 years, still no child. Being her husband and head, Abram should have said what Adam should have said to Sarah, uh, to Eve. No, no, no. That's not the way, Sarai. We're going to trust God. Believe me, let's go to his word. Let's, re let's remind ourselves of his promises again. Sarah, we have to do what's right. We have to do, we have to obey the Lord. That's how we show our trust in him. But what does, Sarah, what does Abraham do? Look what Adam did. He kind of gave in to the temptation. Abraham agrees to Sarai's plan. Again, without consulting the Lord, without talking to the Lord about it, without praying, he should have remembered, actually it wasn't there at that time, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, but think of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Was Abram doing that? No. He joins Sarah in leaving the highway of faith. He allows himself to be persuaded by her reasonings. After all, Abraham, didn't God say from your body? He didn't say which woman's body. Huh? No doubt Satan is laughing. Satan is thinking, I'm going to kill this promise. I don't want Jesus to be born. 
And he's going to bring every distraction to kind of steer us away from the highway of faith and bring us into the ditches of sin. Every distraction possible. And Satan thinks that he's throwing a big wrench. He's going to muddy it up. Muddy up God's plan of salvation and the coming of Christ. Satan wants to spoil it. And you see how he's working here. Verse 3 and 4, we read, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife, and she conceived. Yeah, and the baby began growing inside Sarah's tummy, I mean, sorry, not Sarah, in Hagar's tummy. Wasn't that wonderful? Abram is going to have a baby. He's going to be father at last. He's helping God engineer the promised child. Uh, you know, he's helping God out. Isn't that wonderful that you can sort of steer God and say, God, this is the way I'm going to fulfill your plan for my life? I have it right here. Everyone must be happy. They must be rejoicing, right? Nabram's house? No, no. Boy, they get stung badly. How could there be rejoicing? Has God not commanded? God had not, com put it this way, God had not commanded Abram to take another wife. Did God command that? No, that was Sarah's own decision. God created one man, one woman for each other, for life. That has been so since the beginning. And now how many wives does Abram have? Two. Sarah and Hagar. Their impatience with God their lack of faith in his promises leads to what? All kinds of conflict. That's what sin does. Sin leads to conflict in the home, in the covenant home, in the church, wherever. Sin, leaving the highway of faith, of course, leads to all kinds of trouble. Notice, if you look at the next verses, five and six, there's trouble between who? Sarai and Hagar. There's trouble between Sarai and Abraham. There's trouble between Hagar and Abram and Sarai. What a happy household. No. You know, the stability which faith brings is now turned upside down. And there's all kinds of restlessness and conflict and trouble in the home. Notice here, first of all, Hagar's problem. What was her problem? Her pride Verse 4b, and when she now saw that she had conceived, her mistress, or you could say her missus, Sarai, became despised in her eyes. What does it mean to be despised? You take no account of that person. You treat that person kind of lightly. Well, who, who are you anyway? Like, she's saying that to her mistress. Abram, after Abram marries Hagar, Hagar would not listen to Sarai anymore. Why should I serve Sarah? Didn't God bless me instead of her? I'm the one that's giving Abram a baby. You're the old, useless, frail one, Sarai. If Sarai would say to Hagar, no, Hagar, you go and fetch a jug of water. How would Hagar answer? No, you go get it yourself. Right? I just... It causes problems. You see, leaves the highway of faith, and you see, wow, the promise looks like it's in jeopardy again. And then you have the problem 
with Sarah's jealousy. So Hagar's pride. Sarah becomes very jealous. Look at verse 5. Then Sarah said to Abram, My wrong be upon you. That's what he said. She says to Abram. In other words, this is the wrong I suffered, and it's on you, Abram. It's all your fault. Is it all Abram's fault? Sort of like Adam and Eve playing the blame game. You see Hagar, you see Hagar despising me, and yet you're doing nothing about it, says Sarah. She continues to reprimand Abram in verse 5. She says, I gave my maiden to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between you and me. You know, Sarah in her weakness is calling down God's punishment on Abram, who she thinks is in the wrong. It's like he... She takes her hand and just whack, slaps Abram in the face. What happiness in the household, hey? When you try to live and when you lean on your own understanding, apart from the Lord, life becomes hard. There's just a lot of brokenness and rebellion in the home. Finally, there's Abram's weariness, or you could say Abram just sort of surrendering, right? He's the, the father, the man, the husband. Uh, he, he surrenders to everything. He wants to keep the peace. Verse 6, so Abram said to Sarai, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. You know, Hagar's carrying the child. But is Abram defending Hagar and this child? No, she's, he's, he, you could say he surrenders the responsibility and says, Sarah, you look after it. I don't want anything to do with it. So he gives Sarah the freedom to do with Hagar as she pleases. And the whole situation gets worse and worse and worse. It's kind of like, you know, I, if I were in that house, I don't think I would want to live in anymore. And that was Hagar. Forget it. I'm leaving. I'm fleeing. She runs. No doubt Abram is angry at Hagar. She has no right to run with my child. Right? No doubt he must have been thinking that. Where did Hagar go? She must have fled in the night, disappeared into the darkness of the wilderness. Nobody can find her. She's gone. What now? What happens to Sarai and Mar Abram's marriage? Everything just seems to be split apart. Unless God intervenes and saves the promise, there's no, there's no way Christmas is going to come. Where's the happy ending to Sarah's plan? Wasn't Hagar the one who was supposed to save the household of Abram? This was the family situation, a mess. See where we end up? We end up leaving, when we, when we leave the highway of faith, everyone is angry at everyone else. Instead of peace, love, and joy in the home, which faith brings, the highway of faith brings, the home is a place of arguing, anger, suffering. They didn't trust the Lord. That's the problem. They didn't go to his word. I like what Kivenhoven says in his devotional. He says, it makes no sense to ask who was wrong and who was right in the conflict. Who would you blame? It's hard to know. Who would you blame for the problem? Is it Abram? 
Is it Sarai? Is it Hagar? Why do people always want to know who is right and who is wrong after a series of conflicts have erupted? Kevin Owen says the fault lays way back. It began when Abram and Sarah left the highway of faith. That's when the problem began. And you can't blame anybody after that. That's where the blame, that's where the point of departure comes. That's when the trouble comes, leaving the highway of faith. You know, no one quarreling about who's right. So there's no use quarreling about who's right and who's wrong on the side road. What should Abram do now? Before all this, what Abram and Sarah should have done is go to the Lord. He said, Lord, there's that temptation. You know, Hagar is being proposed by Sarah. We, we leave it in your hands. You, we, we know that's wrong, but guide us. Give us strength. Help us to stay faithful and strong on the road of the highway of faith. But they didn't do that. Is it too late now? The family has crumbled. It's fallen apart, it seems. Will Hagar's son actually be the one to whom Christ would come into the world? Nope. If you read Galatians 4, Galatians 4 is very clear. He is the son of the slave woman according to the flesh. Not the free woman to the promise. Okay, Galatians 4.22. It was according to the flesh. That was not the one. Will God still fulfill his promise to Abraham and Sarah who left the highway of faith? The only one that can bring about this in, in the right way again is God. There's nothing Abraham and Sarah can do. Nothing. They can't do anything to make things right. Only God can. God must intervene. And that comes to our last point. That's a shorter point. The rebuke from the Lord, verses 17, 7 through 16. You notice that the rebuke of the Lord to Abram and Sarah comes through whom? Hagar. The runaway maid Hagar, whom the angel of the Lord, angel he knows is in capital A, was probably the Lord Jesus Christ before he was born. So the Lord Jesus Christ comes in the form of the angel and he meets Hagar in the wilderness, where? At a well of water, at a spring in the desert. And he commands her to return, right? And to submit under Sarai. But not without first giving her this beautiful promise of many descendants through her son. And those are the Arabs who are the Muslims today. But the Lord tells her to name him Ishmael. Notice that. It's not Hagar who gives that name, or Abram, but the Lord. Why? The Lord wants Abram and Israel to intentionally hear that God hears. Never forget that. God hears. Go to him at all times. He hears. Ishmael means God hears. God hears the needs. God hears the afflictions of his people. And notice... Ishmael is not the son of the promise. From the son of the promise, Jesus will come, who is a blessing to the nations, securing the inheritance, forgiveness, and new life for all who believe in him. That was not promised to Ishmael. Hagar, being encouraged, calls God Elroy. Why does she call God Elroy? This means the God who sees. So Ishmael, the God who hears, 
And Elroy, the God who sees, and even the well, right, where she was at, where the Lord revealed himself to her, is called the well of the living one who sees me. And then verse 7, 15, 16, of course, conclude Ishmael and Hagar go back home, and the baby is born, and Abram calls him Ishmael according to the command of the angel given to Hagar. You know what? These verses serve as God's rebuke to Abram and Sarah's impatient and lack of faith. How so, you may ask? It's his call to trust on the Lord and his promises. God is the source. He is the source of your life and of your health and of your spiritual well-being at all times and in every way. No matter what we go through in life, he hears. You know, Ishmael's name would forever be a reminder. Ishmael, clean up your room. God hears. Ishmael, you wash the dishes. God hears. Forever they're remembering, God hears, God hears, God hears, God hears. It's like we need to be continually reminded. Rather than going to the solutions of our own way, just remember, God hears. God hears. Pray to him. Talk to him. He hears. Sarai, God sees that you're a barren. He hears your cries. Stop turning to your own solutions. Stop turning away from God and start figuring out things in your own way. God hears. He really hears. You know, God's promises are stronger than death. That's what's so great about the fact that God hears. Because he's strong. He's powerful. He can bring life into impossible situations. He can, he can uh, work things out in ways that we can never imagine that we think, no, it's impossible. No, he can. Even into the deadness of Sarah's womb. God hears. God sees. He sees distress. He hears the cry for help. But yeah, turn to him. Trust him. How we may, maybe we be sure? For God so loved the world. How do we know he hears? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's the angel who appeared to Hagar in the desert. He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. God hears. God sees as a matter of fact, he took upon himself our sin, our cries, our human misery, our distress on the cross when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You talk about the cry of dereliction. You talk about the cry of the utmost worst misery ever, far greater than Sarai's. Why did Christ take that upon himself? Because that's the foundation upon which God hears, upon which God sees. God turned his way, his face, even, God even turned his face away from his son, his only beloved son. He didn't hear him. He didn't see him. For what purpose? For what? So that he may hear us and see us, all who trust in Christ alone for our salvation. You know, that one rejected, the impossible happened. He arose to life from the dead. 
That's our God. He hears. He did that for us. He arose from the dead, conquering sin, death, and hell. And he brings us into his house. Far better house than Abraham's house because it's the family of Christ. Doesn't mean the conflicts are gone, but he brings us into his house, his family. He washes us and he clothes us. He dresses us in his righteousness. And he says, you know, I have my promise laid out for you. You keep your eyes focused on that promise and don't turn to your own solutions. Don't try to figure out things yourself. You trust me. You obey me. God hears. God sees. You throw yourself on Christ. You throw yourself on his mercy at all times. For he hears, he sees, always and at all times. It's Jesus who is really the fulfillment of the promise. He's the promise. He is everything. He is the life in every situation. Yes, out of the barren womb, he brings forth his children. We're proof of that. Out of the barren womb, look what he has brought forth. Out of the death, out of the barrenness of the womb, God has brought forth his children, his family in Christ, sons and daughters of Abraham. Why does God draw Abraham and Sarah and us to the highway of faith again? Not because we deserve it, but because God has his promise in mind. He does it for the sake of Christ. He just draws us back. Thank God for his grace. All because of Christ, the promise of Christmas. And that's why we can say with Isaiah 54, Sing, O barren, you have not born. Break forth into singing. Let's do it.